Hello everybody, thanks for tuning in to Revolutionary Lumpen Radio. This episode we are joined by the podcast 12 Rules for What, based in southern England. He specialised in talking politics about the far right and fascism, truly anti-fascist comrades. So that's the subject in which we're going to discuss as well as get to know them and the podcast better. If you do enjoy Revolutionary Lumpen Radio, we just ask the tell other people about it and if you want to support us more than that then please support us on patreon at patreon.com slash lumpen podcast now again we do want to base build uh, we just need the support to do it we're gonna absolutely gonna be doing work on the ground over the next year you're gonna see that so for all of that you can follow us on twitter at lumpen underscore radio so without further ado let's dive into it with 12 rules for is driving this climate catastrophe. It's not just a moral stand, it's a political stand. The role that Israel plays securing the interests of US and British imperialism in the Middle East. Some people often kind of talk about Iraq or Afghanistan. Today, where I am, and I like understand these conflicts that have literally been going on since I was born, it's just like horrifying. We had some placards, one of them which said the pretty factual point that Zionism is racism. I personally refused to learn my parents' language. My brother did it. I'm a bit older than him, so I've gone through 9-11. That was the first time I realized that I looked different. Today, much of what passes for leftism is actually quite right-wing, quite destructive. The dictatorship of the proletariat is how the social order in a given country can be steered in a socialist direction. This idea of dialectics is that everything is a web of life, deeply interconnected. The conversation to me is, how do we make all labor less exploitative for women? My writing was first and foremost for disabled people, for outcasts, and for folks on social assistance. The homeowners association mm-hmm. started up because they wanted to exclude certain ethnicities yep. from the suburbs. Thanks for tuning in to Revolutionary Lumpen Radio. In this episode, we're joined by 12 Rules for What? <laughs> awesome podcast project propaganda very educational easy to understand after that you just left like whoa because you've just soaked up that much information really excellent but we'll go into what they specialize on but first of all let's just get to know one of the co-hosts for the podcast who are you my name is alex I do 12 Rules for What, which is a podcast about the far right and fascism from a like a left perspective, but not like a soft left perspective. We both yeah, place ourselves on the radical left. And that's where our analysis of fascism comes from. I was actually put on to your podcast by writer Zola on Medium. Amazing person, comrade, who reached out to talk about being ex-Muslim, racism, diaspora britain was the episode that we made together and she said that like she really loves your podcast you really do an amazing job to talk about fascism and she'd really? love to hear yeah 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 no she like she she said like the these are in the uk and these are like boston amazing for, for like fascism she said 
I think that like it would be amazing if you could go on and speak to them. That'd be like a boss episode. That was maybe a year or so ago. I think I've been in contact one or two times, but I've always had that in mind. Just out of respect for Zola, but I've also listened to episodes as they come in. I admire the users, people, because I can see by the choices of the guests that you have on that, you know, it's you're serious about discovery truth and you have to learn from different guests and how they interact with you as one of the hosts you're learning along with the listeners in a way i'm sure you could relate yeah it's just a great experience and it's just one of those reasons why i'm doing this now is so that comrades out there new people sticking headphones in their ears and seeing what these podcasts are about so that they can actually get to know the uk community of propagandists, educators, etc. Because we have to get to know each other. And what we don't realize is some of us are going to be doing this shit for like 10, 20, 30 years. What is that going to look like? What kind of community are we going to build? And what culture are we going to shape as we do this? Are we going to stay isolated? Or are we going to actually speak to each other as educators, propagandists, organic intellectuals? Thank you, thank you for saying that. That's really, that's really nice to hear. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that's true. I think people in the US have had a bit more developed in that regard. There's more of an infrastructure of independent projects that we have here. Like, I can't really think of like a particular network or anything that's existence in the UK. The only thing I can think of is Navara, which has its, comes with a lot of issues. And to put it mildly, and it's, it's good to do these things as well. I think when we started it, we didn't really know, yeah, we didn't really know what we were doing, I think. But now, you know, we're kind of setting, we're planning ahead a lot more. We're doing different bits of content. We've written this book. It's going to come out. So, yeah, we're, we're kind of getting more into the swing of it as well, I think. Awesome. So how many years have you been doing it? I think we had the idea for the podcast in probably 2018 and we recorded some episodes in late 2018 and started releasing 2019 so it's not really been that long to be honest yeah i can relate to where you start out and you don't really know what you're doing and you know that's not just two podcasters vibing together maybe people are going to listen to this and actually do something of their own and shed light to you know something that's going to draw more people in and inspire them to actually change the material reality was the ever a period in your life that you could subscribe to you getting into politics and being anti-fascist what pushed you into your political background and what kind of tendency would you subscribe to that I suppose I got a taste for kind of a different kind of politics in the um, student movement of 2010. Mm. And I think that's where I started, where I experienced police violence and repression, which I hadn't before. Mm. And I had a couple of years and I had a year abroad for education. And then I came back and I think I was involved in... So I was living in Whitechapel and the EDL you know, announced that they were going to come to Whitechapel and march to the mosque, the East London Mosque, which is the biggest mosque in the UK, I believe. The English Defence League. English Defence League. So they were like a kind of uh, far-right football hooligan-style movement. 
not entirely sure how many of the actual attendees were hooligans. They were getting you know, quite a lot of TV coverage around the town. They were getting a lot of TV coverage because they were having a lot of impact as well. Like, they were doing these, like, you know, thousand-strong demonstrations through city centres. It helped them grow, all that TV coverage. They loved documenting it, I swear. It was a kind of, like, I suppose it was a kind of, like, fascination participants were kind of, like, to be studied, Ooh. I think. But, yeah, you are right. I think they kind of, they fed off the, the coverage. I mean, 2013 was, was the beginning of the end of them really, because it wasn't long after the march in Whitechapel when Tommy Robinson had his big, who was the found, one of the founders of the English Defence League, had his big kind of come-to-Jesus moment at Quilliam Foundation, which is an anti-extremism, bad, they're bad people, uh, think tank, and kind of renounced the EDL. I mean, obviously, he didn't really stay away from reactionary mass movements, but that was kind of the beginning of the EDL's decline. Anyway, uh, and then through anti-fascism, I got involved with other, other radical politics, specifically anarchist politics. And there, you know, East London is quite a... I'm not from East London, I'm from the North originally, but East London has got a big anarchist community and there's a lot of, like, social centres and other different places that, you know, are in a small kind of area with each other. Ooh. And so I kind of got involved in that kind of thing. I started squatting once I dropped out of uni. And I was involved in kind of different, I suppose, different stuff. And then a bit later in the decade, I was always involved, interested in theory and things like that. So I, I wanted a more of a kind of strategic way of doing politics. And so I got involved in another organisation and kind of brought me up to the founding the podcast and the, and the pandemic and then sitting in my room for like a year, not seeing mm-hmm. anybody. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's... A vague history. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Thanks for fleshing that out, comrade. Just to dig a bit deeper into that, though, like I'm just fascinated by. So there was the EDL in the town. You'd done anti-fascist work. What was it that like made you think like this is fascism? Like specifically, where did that come from? Like where did you learn that? And did that take you in any in any kind of like? political direction towards, say, Marxist-Leninism or just anti-Palism? Or was it just at the forefront in your mind that fascism is the focus for your energy and you're anti-fascist? Could you tell us about that? So I think when I first got involved in anti-fascism, like, I didn't go... So the anti-fascist movement is quite, I suppose, quite segmented. There's, like, United Against Fascism, which is kind of controlled by the SWP, which is a Trotskyist organization and at the time there still is but it was kind of at its peak of organizing with the anti-fascist network and there's still some afn groups around and they're doing really good work but it was a much more like kind of national network that was a kind of an alternative across the country to the uaf and that's where i ended up the afn they were like they're they're kind of not working with the state they were anti-state in the sense of uh, not collaborating with like police and things like this but they were still quite a broad coalition of different political tendencies. So there was anarchists, there was communists, Marxists, things like that. Mm. And I think I, I first got involved in fascism, uh, anti-fascism, almost from a kind of a quite, a, I suppose, liberally moral standpoint of these are bad people and we should oppose bad people. Uh, mm. But that quickly changed. Um, Recognising that the EDL kind of represented, wasn't just attacking uh, Muslims because they were, you know, racist, but they were also anti 
anti-left, anti-trade unionism, and that, I suppose, brought me into a more uh, structural analysis about the place that, the kind of structural place that mm. the far right and fascism has within society and within discourse. What is fascism is, I don't really like, <laughs> I don't really like talking about it. I find it quite boring because I think, you know, you often get into a trap with it where it's like, when you start talking about what is is and isn't fascist and who isn't isn't fascist, then you start kind of like, well, you start getting into this kind of checklist definition where you say, well, if this group is nationalist and they're whatever and they're this and that, then that adds up to fascism. And I think that's a weak kind of analysis, to be honest. You've got to understand fascism or the far right within a wider political and economic world in which fascist or far right movements have been used by capital in moments of weakness or even in moments of strength as a kind of extra parliamentary agent, as it were. But also fascism is a kind of movement which looks back to historical movements of fascism and tries to to be like them. So the example at the moment is a patriarchal alternative, which is like uh, set up by, I suppose, our evil counterpart, Mark Collette, who's a far-right live streamer. He used to be uh, in the leadership of the BNP, their youth leader. And he had a kind of YouTube live stream show, which he's kind of built a political party on the back of. And they use a classic kind of fascist tactics, uh, rhetorical tactics of like, you know, fascism is located in fascist Italy or in Nazis and they're not around anymore. But they constantly refer to Nazism. They, you know, have blood and soil themed book clubs, you know, this kind of very kind of not even like nod, nod, wink, wink. It's fairly obvious they are definitely fascist patriotical, patriotic alternative. Sorry, I kind of, uh, kind of went off in there. No, no, I appreciate all of that and our listeners will too, comrade, because we haven't really covered fascism. We've spoken on it briefly, but it's nice to dive into it. So I appreciate everything that you've contributed there and how I'd also support everything that you've said is what is fascism? Well, I'll just tell you the easiest answer. It's not very informative, but it is also massively informative at the same time. It is the same as all things. It is dialectical. Okay, it goes through change. So fascism, it's ultimate, it's peak reactionary force. So you could say if there's ever progress, like such as the people becoming progressive towards something like LGTB rights or, or something like then fascism is going to react with rainbow flags on b-52 bombers so that the people are pacified with the system and you know ideologically dominated because we're shaped by the images around us the material things shape our mind so if we're looking around and we're seeing rainbow flags and everything then we're thinking oh okay so the world is now pro lgtb and it's it's a load of bullshit you know what i'm saying fascism is a lie it's the most vicious thing on the entire planet it's capitalism in decay the more capitalism gets decayed from the aggression from the masses and the, the masses working to fucking obliterate this motherfucking thing then i just said a prayer isn't the way to kanye west <laughs> <laughs> so as capitalism decays as it props up this rotten system from the core it has to lash out aggressively it has to violently react 
like it shows its force, it shows its aggression blatantly, just like these EDL people, these are people in the league in defence of England. Is that what they are? They're coming out and they're defending them from the Muslims and the mosques in the town who are just, you know, living relatively happy lives because, you know, the alternative is probably better than fucking some war-torn country that are in palest quarters fucked and fuck with their nation and i mean what we're talking about is entire global domination so i can't even specify on one person it is everything like fascism is across the globe it is how capitalism defends itself and it's how it doesn't give a fuck like how it does it at the same time we also have to educate ourselves because guess what it's ideological it's in our mind the chains aren't on our feet it is in our brain it is the culture it's the images and the ideas and the material reality that is around us and this shapes the culture and the chains in our mind has people saying the exact same thing bourgeois ruling class wants people to say and has things acting like fascists without even knowing that they're acting like fascists that's ideological and obviously backed by flipping cognitive dissonance and their own neural pathways and a lack of access to the truth and information and other alternatives and and act you know in fact that would shape you ideologically astronomically if you are literally seen with the world as it is as human beings just want to know because we want to know what world we live in so that we can navigate it safely and interact and survive and thrive and enjoy it like we can't do that if we don't know the truth about the world and that we're all loving peaceful human beings that just want to get by we have to think that the scallies on the street and the lump and who are trying to rob us and there is like rapists out there who are trying to rape everybody and there is all this murder and there is all of this so we have to be terrified and then we have to start blaming and hating the Muslims and hating the poor people and hating all these other things that's what it is and people don't even realize they're being fascist they just think that they're trying to be a good person this is like they're backing up a medieval like flipping four thousand year old system of lords over land and property and this is backwards people like fascism is reaction it reacts it goes back it's like whoa and it goes way back five thousand years motherfuckers are out there today in the uk looking like goddamn peasants from medieval england and shit literally motherfucking trying to get us all back to farming because of covid picking it by our goddamn hands what is going on in the goddamn world so fascism like everything always changes but it's how to identify fascism that's important and how to give them a smack around the face for being goddamn fashion because it's ultimate reaction and it's not even reaction to benefit them it's to benefit the ruling class i mean come on people have got one life and this motherfucking bitch you're gonna drop dead he's really gonna waste it trying to ignore all of this shit or he's gonna share this motherfucking shit tell people about it we can change the goddamn world we have to change this goddamn culture and this history because it's ours we it's our culture it's our history we're not the ruling class we're motherfucking poor motherfucking common people that's how they see us that's how it is nobody's denying we're commoners out in here do you know what i'm saying that's as it is and they are literally lords come on and then it's the capitalists who just dominate lords because it was because they bullied them with the technology and all this shit and the, the lords rely on them because the corporations are part of the state and the fascism re- reaches out whenever anybody attacks the goddamn state so this is kind of what we're saying here. Would you agree with that at all, comrade? Any comments? 
There's quite a lot. Quite a lot you could said. Uh, <laughs> uh, I know I went off on a goddamn tangent. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Uh, I think. Okay. So I think I understand the like desire to like kind of generalize an idea of fascism, and I agree with it to an extent. I also think that to anti-fascist, deciding what is and isn't fascist has a different meaning to, I suppose, someone who's not an anti-fascist, like actively. When an anti-fascist declares someone something to be fascist, it means they kind of like legitimise activity against them, um, but they also legitimise a certain set of tactics that Mm. might not be used against something that is not fascist. And so it's, I think you're speaking about a certain conception of fascism, which is absolutely legitimate, I think. But also I think anti-fascist, at least me as an anti-fascist, when I'm asking what is fascism, I'm asking whether uh, something needs to be acted against. Does that make sense? Like, the the part of the difficulty of it is that, you know, fascism has come from certain historical phenomena, which has then been put to use by a great many different people and for different reasons. So even like in the in the 40s, you had George Orwell saying things about how fascism means nothing and is like has... Oh, has that's convenient, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's just not there. No, no, no. He wasn't saying that. He was saying that he's been em- the, the term has been emptied of meaning and is used as kind of a generalised insult, which I think is not like... I think fascism as a... Fascist as pejorative is very common and it's used by people across the political spectrum you know conservatives liberals reactionaries leftists it's really important to distinguish the different types of fascism that we're talking the different uses to which fascism is put does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah i'm gonna try and clarify and i think that we'll get a good a little education session out of this the way i said it okay so Fascism, in a way, is in your mind, but it's maybe it's not the change that's ideological. You could say that that is like liberalism, right? And then fascism is the action that people physically do. And, you know, anti-fascist action is combating this actual action that people are doing. Would you say that that's what it's about? Like, it's not more like a combination of events. It's more like people, you know, actually doing something and then something that could actually be stopped. Is that the main difference? I think that's a really, yes, I would I would go along with that. I think that's a good distinction to make. And I mean, I, I'm really, I, I'm on board with the kill the policeman inside your head kind of thing or kill the fashion inside your head. Uh, which I think is, you know, everyone should be doing. Um, yeah, definitely. But there's, in terms of like a concrete movement of anti-fascism, yeah. we're asking a different question, I think. And if we if we kind mm-hmm. of use a kind of, uh, there's a fascist in everyone's head kind of thing, then basically everybody's a fascist and that's not useful to anti-fascists. Do you know what I mean? It's not useful to nobody, yeah. It's not useful to nobody saying these are, are fascist because, again, fascism changes. It's different things at different times. So some people might be a fascist when they're doing actual reaction, and that's where anti-fascists would step in and stop that, where it stands then and there, or when most planned, yeah. Exactly, and I think, I think as well, that kind of... Fascism as an action, and anti-fascism, and correspondingly, anti-fascism as an action is better than fascist as a you know a being as an ident- as a fixed identity or anti-fascist as a fixed identity because 
when someone is doing fascism, they can stop doing fascism and they can start doing anti-fascism. And that's a much more kind of liberatory, constructive uh, way of viewing anti-fascism and fascism because it means you can win over people and you can grow an anti-fascist movement and diminish a fascist movement as well. Like, people don't have to continue being a fascist or not, you know? Ooh, whoa. Whoa, yeah, because, of course, as as both fascism and anti-fascism movements exist, they're dialectical with each other. If there's no fascist action, then there's going to be no anti-fascist action. Well, that's the thing as well. Whoa. You can And you can track, like, waves of anti-fascist movements historically in the UK, which, is, which I, I must know about, but also across Europe and in America as well, um, to as reactions or, like, as a corresponding to a fascist an uptake in fascism and and also yes. anti-fascist movements and activity changes in accordance with the fascists of that moment. So, for example, if you want to look at history, the uh, organising against the BUF was done by trade unions and the Communist Party and it was a mass opposition. And there was, obviously there's Cable Street, but there was an even bigger mass opposition organised in Leeds, big anti-fascist opposition to the BUF. And after the Second World, and this is pre-Second World War, after the Second World War, the kind of anti-fascism we got was corresponded to the kind of fascism we got after the Second World War. And you had the, things like the 43 Group, which was Jewish ex-servicemen basically running squads to break, physically break up fascist uh, mass mm. meetings in public. Mm. And they, you know, they were doing squadism about 40 years before AFA and... Red action in the 80s and 90s. If we go at the moment, we had the kind of mass movement or the mass demonstration, public demonstrations of the EDL, and now we have other forms of we ha- we have more clandestine fascism, and therefore we've 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 got a different kind of anti-fascism as well. Absolutely. So it goes without saying that once we know that now, if you are a communist, if you are even a good liberal, then you have to go out and combat fascism when it's in your area, when you can do something about it, you know that it's happening and people are doing fascism, like your words aren't going to move people as much as a fascist does when he attacks them on the streets, like that's actual physical violence, that's material change, words are nothing, it takes action to combat, reaction. So I hope that people really have, have um, got a, you know, a decent understanding of, of what is fascism. And if you know what is fascism, you know it has to be combated. And yeah, I appreciate that totally for bringing that out. That was flipping awesome. I learned a lot there, so I'm sure that was going to be valuable to a lot of people. Understanding this phenomenon that entraps and constantly historically dominators it's what exists it's actually there come back historically we have to understand and we have to learn i think that's part of just to bring it back to the podcast i think i did say in the introduction episode about how people are unable to see the tensions and distinctions within the far right and fascism they see them as kind of one monolithic block like a glob of fascism when actually the way to understand and ultimately the way to combat the far right and fascism is to understand the tensions within them and to play on those tensions and to kind of do what like left-wing movements have traditionally been destroyed which is to break them up into constituent parts and destroy them one by one mm. 
Um, you've just got tactics on tactics on tactics against these fascists, I'm telling you. And that was another great point, comrade. Um, of course, we always know and we always talk about the ruling class as Marxist as, as one monolith, but of course they're, they're different, they've got different politics and there's so much division within them. And, and fascists, the same fascist movements, they're not ideologically united. They're individuals that's the problem with them they're just individuals so they have their own individual opinions and what you're saying is you definitely be playing on that understand if one group has attention with another group and you can find a way to um, make them fall out over it do it because it'll work and that's good to stabilizing these groups and as you said you know the cia love to do this against left-wing groups as well to be honest with the synthetic left and with the british army employ people to do this shit all the time um as well as pigs infiltrating movements you know like we have to combat it so i mean what was what the heck was this book you were on about i was gonna say like you could write a book on this have you uh well yeah uh <laughs> I, I don't want yeah okay i'm gonna promote myself okay ourselves uh we've we wrote a book about the internet and fascism we still haven't got a title for it because we can't think of a good one um but it's going to come out with a press called dog section press they're a small yeah they're kind of cool good books what did you say digital fascism it was called it, the, it's about the internet and fascism so it's basically about contemporary far-right, contemporary fascist movements and how they kind of manifest and utilise and play out on the internet. So we talk about 8chan and incels and... Wow. Like a lot... It's, it covers a lot of stuff. It's not that long, wow. uh, but it's... Hopefully, I think it's a pretty decent introduction. And it allows us to flesh out a lot of stuff we say on the podcast mm. with, like with more coherence and more historical examples and stuff because obviously if you like talking and they have it transcribed it's not actually that long written down a podcast isn't actually that long in writing so it's it's been good that's with dog section yeah they're a small radical press but we've got another one coming after that with the more academic press which we kind of applied to uh without really thinking we'd get it and then they accepted our application so Oh, that's awesome. Congratulations, comrade. Well done for all that work and putting the time and energy into that. That's sick. I know so many people, including myself, who'd love to do a book and the topics in which you've chosen to talk about and discuss digital fascism. Well, wow. I mean, that sounds super fucking fascinating. And it sounds like something I've definitely got to read um, after just, just this time speaking to you alone at need more of you in my life i'm telling you so <laughs> we'll do that and i'll get your book and i'll get it signed with all of yeah definitely man and then we can discuss that i haven't really thought about uh i haven't really thought about signing books or anything but i suppose i will end up signing one or two. Oh, you'll probably sign two for me and ryan the co-host boss comrade really keep us updated when that comes out because I'll definitely buy it and, and maybe get you back on to talk about some of the themes of it. Super interesting and, and very unique. I'm sure that you've got a boss perspective on that. So for people who are going to go and listen to your podcast, 12 Rules for What, what 
can you expect from your episodes? Is it, are you kind of just talking one-on-one? Do you cover different situations in the news? Like, how, how would you describe your episodes? It's definitely a mix. And now that we're not writing anymore, well, not writing books anymore, we're having more regular content. We're trying to focus on getting guests, like you said earlier, getting guests who know more than us. But we want to keep a mix of guests. We want to keep the activist kind of guest and then also the, uh, I suppose, academic guest mm. as well, because I think there's oftentimes there's a separation between the study of the far right, study of fascism and racism, and actually how people in movements in like action think about things. We kind of want to bring those two things together and offer our own analysis as well. My co-host, Sam, I'm like, I'm much more into the kind of movement style side of anti-fascism and he's... I suppose more academic, mm. but like we, there's a lot of crossover as well. So it's, mm. it's a really good kind of mix that we bring. We've started doing podcasts in like in relation to new stuff. So we did one like an emergency pod for coronavirus when the pandemic first started. We did one for the the riot at the Capitol, and we've just I literally today actually recorded one about the new police sentencing court bill. That's going to be about to be passed, which further criminalizes protest. And we've just been talking about that in relation to anti fascism. So it is a mix, and it's good to have that mix, I think. We're trying to draw on different strands, basically. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you totally. We've got the kind of similar thing. Sometimes we, we work on daily with each other or we discuss a current event and sometimes we have guests on both from academic backgrounds and just the masses. Um, it's important for China, again, constantly learn and get this information and you, you can only get certain information from certain people. So if you were only speaking to one class or group of people wouldn't really be that really interesting with it so yeah that's true we've it's been good at getting like some of the guests we've got like i think academics just love talking about their work so they'll go on any podcast basically <laughs> uh, but i mean that obviously in the nicest way because they're like they're enthusiastic <laughs> you know what i'm saying not that they're like self-promoters necessarily and i suppose bringing some of that analysis and presenting it in like you said before presenting it in a way that's understandable is also part of it as well mm. so oftentimes not in any way their fault academics work appears in journals which are paywalled or in really expensive academic books and you know there are ways around it like you can pirate basically any academic article or any ebook if you know the right website but obviously a lot of people do not either so it's good to have those ideas presented in a non-paywalled, accessible way. Um, yeah. That's also kind of contextualized and explained and not simplified because that's the wrong. It's not like dumbing down. It's making it, yeah, like I said, making it accessible. Yeah, but just on that as well, because I'm just going to, you know, what, just go meta for a moment. Like, it's also like when you've got a podcast on, obviously you're not doing it to speak to the wall. Like you need listeners as well. So listeners kind of expect a kind of academic as well to be talking, even if they're not that interested. It just shows a certain legitimacy for what you're doing because they have got the statistics, they've done the research rather than just lived it. Um, as we're talking about and seeing these things, but these people cannot just tell you what happened at an EDL event like you can. They'll tell you how many EDL events occurred over a certain time, and then from that you can make, like you know pick something else up. So you know that 
it's good to have both, but at the same time, we're also trying to grow it and, you know, it, it, you, you kind of need, like, more mainstream guests on as well. I think that that's kind of a bit of a point of it. That was mainly for, for my listeners to learn because I, I just talk real shit sometimes. <laughs> it, 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 like, it is what it is. I wouldn't sell out on nobody. Like, if I was going to speak to Vosh and I'm going off topic now, but I'd have to seriously be, like, bullying him, like, at the same time. Like, I'm seriously combating his liberalism, like, seriously. Um, or, uh, like... He's a, he's a live streamer. Yeah, no, he's, he's, okay. he's the worst, <laughs> like... I'm, 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 I am fairly online, but I, I suppose I'm millennial. You know, like boomers are online in a certain way. Millennials yeah. are online in a certain way. I'm definitely millennial online. You know, like I haven't got into the streaming thing yet. Like it's just like like I'm not really a streamer, but it's like you don't want to go down that rabbit hole of seeing who voices <laughs> like because the way you're an anti-fascist and like you want to do the anti-fascist action you will want to do the anti-fash and he can't do nothing because he's on your screen and he's spouting all of this madness and you just, oh, look, do not go down that rabbit hole and avoid them, please, for your I, own goddamn peace of mind. I've, I've been warned off. That's good to know. I mean, I've just literally done anti-fascist action by telling you not to go and listen to him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Why do you think that it's important to continue to analyse the movements and the roles of fascism when it props up in society as it manifests itself across news media and electoral politics? Like you said earlier, it it, is, it changes. They're really constant change according to different conditions as the conditions are de- developed. And so oftentimes, I suppose, anti-fascist movements have, or anti-fascists have been caught out in a, like an old style or an outdated style of doing anti-fascism or responding to something that's not, that's changed. Mm. And so it's, it's always important to be analysing what you are doing and analysing how you're doing it and what you are opposing in order to like change how you are doing it in order to be more effective because if you're responding to something that has changed, then you're being less effective. So as we see different bits of fascism become more prominent, so for example, in the 2000s up until, I suppose, till it collapsed in 2010, 2011, the BMP, which was the most successful political fascist party since the BUF, uh, they were like a political respectable, in air quotes, trying to be a respectable political party, trying to get councillors elected in towns that had been abandoned by Labour and abandoned by the Tories. And as that morphed into the EDL, and then as the EDL collapsed, you know, anti-fascism needs to change with it. And for that, you do need analysis, and you need to be thinking through the relationships. Yeah, God damn, I just thought then as well, like, because I've always been curious with the relation and role of academics, like, in the movement. And I said it once, and I'll say it again, I think that you should totally be rear guard because just as, like, they're not there actually at the EDL mosque, 
do like seeing what was happening at the time and doing the anti-fascist action they're in the back noting it down as a statistic and that's real god because they're literally behind the in the battle you know observing what's in front of them preparing for that as they approach it like as an actual military unit in the sense of real god i'm talking well that was just super interesting and i mean we are, it is a battle against fascism that you know in the history of the ruling class like that we're doing here so I'm going to use these military words and because we need a strategy and we're talking strategy. Thank you so much, comrade, for everything that you've said and, and educated us on and brought out from fascism, from which your podcast, 12 Rules From What, specialises in. Thank you. No, thank you. It was incredible. I haven't got any more questions as of yet. I've got a lot to think about those. But for now, have you got anything else that you'd like to add just before we get to your plugs? And now I've got nothing, but this has been good. Thank you. Yeah, boss, thank you. So for the listeners, where can they find 12 Reels for what? How can they support your pod? Any other projects you've got going on that you'd like in the show notes? Please let us know. So you can, we've, um, we mainly upload SoundCloud, 12 rules, uh, soundcloud.com slash 12 Reels for what? But that's an RSS feed, so you can get us basically anywhere, like podcast apps and stuff. If you want to support us, you can listen to us and recommend us to people. That's always appreciated. But also, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash 12 rules for what. And we are starting to do premium episodes on there, but nothing. It's like bonus content for £2 a month, and it's bonus content. So it, all, all the main shows will be free, and then we'll do extra stuff. That's basically it. Look out for our book, whatever it's going to be called, coming out with Dog Section Press. And yeah, that's it. That's awesome. Um, and on that note, with Patreon, where people should definitely go and support you for two dollars a month and support the pod and continue to do what you do and educate the masses as an organic intellectual on podcasts such as this. It's important, people. So again, share this. But and a big thank you to everybody that makes this happen. Gotta say a shout out to our patrons: Jake, Joe, Revlef Radio, Massline, John, Grego. Jess, Slaughter Round, Gemma, Kate, Mary Williams, Seville, Awu, Samig, Val, Steve, Emily, Eris, Lucy, some random leftist, and Kieran. My comrades, thank you so much. Made this show happen. And to you, comrade. Thank you so much. Um, I hope that you've um, enjoyed this. Seriously, um, I've enjoyed this time. It was, it's been funny, been in- interesting. Appreciate this one a lot. Yeah, it's been good. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. So I love you and leave you. Okay. Workers and lumpen of the world, unite. From Watts to Brownsville, we find misery. But there won't be no more. Won't be no more. There won't be no more. Won't be no more. Rats, dirt, and kids who are hungry. There won't be no more. Won't be no more. There won't be no more.